Hello and welcome to today's Horton Hangout. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Thank you ever so much for joining us. And this is the first time that you will only be able to find the Horton Hangout on a podcast. We're no longer uh, going to be live on YouTube. And it's purely and exclusively for our podcast listeners from now on. So if this is your first time joining us on the podcast, thank you ever so much. So as always, Michael, we've got some questions here that uh, the topics vary, which is really good. And thank you to those of you who have sent uh, your questions through to us. We really enjoy getting them. They do vary. Um, So let's start with the first one, which I think is always very interesting conversation that we have in practice, Michael, uh, which is, what is an average hourly rate for dentists? And I love this question because really there isn't an average. There are so many things that go into an hourly rate. And the biggest problem that Michael and I see is that practice owners are speaking to their friends and saying, oh, what's your hourly rate? What do you charge? And they're looking at other practices' websites and their fee guides and copying. And really that's just an absolute recipe for disaster. Um, because there is so much that goes into this. And this is where I'll now just hand over to you, Michael. That <laughs> <laughs> Nicely passed over. Yeah, it's important when you're setting your fee structure that you need to decide what business that you're going to be. And I'm sure you've heard these discussions before, but maybe it's time to really think about actually who you want to be because you can't be everything to everybody and one of the common things that Laura and I both see is that practice still want to be the practice for everybody so they want you know you know the little old lady that wants a denture to the you know the young professional at 18 19 that just wants tooth whitening and not really interested in hygiene to family people to people that are in business and actually you may pick up a variety of patients in your practice but they have to be charged the fee and be given the experience that is right for your individual practice and i want to say to you that that's the really nice thing about being a a private dental practice or having one dental practice or maybe two or three practices that you can really stamp your identity on who you're going to be what you're going to be um, and how you're going to facilitate your service I say this a lot on courses and I think it's a good time to say it on a podcast is that fundamentally you all sell the same things you're all doing examinations you're all doing hygiene you're all doing fillings you're all doing extractions and so on and so on so it's really important to go why do people come to your practice specifically to have a filling with you or to have an examination with you or to have a major uh, crown you know aesthetic makeover or whatever it may be that's that's people making an informed choice and that will come from people recommending you and and you know marketing that you may be doing whether it's online or in papers or from awareness campaigns whatever you may be doing there but it's important when you get that patient into practice is the service that you want to deliver and that's where the price starts from really you know what type of practice that you want to be and why i've said all of that first of all is because To give an amazing service costs money. There's no doubt about that. We all know that from buying posh Jimmy shoes to 
you know, Apple products or, you know, maybe shopping in John Lewis, things like that. You know, when you shop in Waitrose and things like that, you're paying for the service, the experience, the way things are displayed, et cetera, et cetera. And in your practice, that will be paying for the clinic clinical skills that you've had, the team members experience that they have and the quality of the customer service delivery they have, which is so important the guarantees that you place on treatment, how long you're going to spend with a patient on doing a treatment. Um, because we all know that in reality, we could all speed up. But actually, if you're going to, pr to provide a fantastic service, then actually you might want to slow down. Um, and we say this to practice a lot, you know, actually you need to be thinking about, you know, are we delivering the service alongside you know, the quality of the dentistry. So if you're doing that, that's going to increase your expenses bill. And if your expenses bill is higher, then that means that your hourly rates are going to be higher. So if you're giving an amazing patient lounge experience and it's got Wi-Fi and a deluxe drink machine and you're, you know, giving a, a wide range of magazines and you've got two or three people that service the patients, you know, to welcome them, to say goodbye, to do handovers in person, you've got treatment coordinators doing uh, communication in the practice for you, then your expense bill is going to be a much higher than let's say a practice that's a bit more mixed maybe, or has a big NHS contract where you'll have less of those things going on. So expenses are where, you're, where the fees start really, Laura, that's where it all starts. And then you've got to start dividing that figure down into, you know, how many hours you're going to do in the practice. So how many dentist hours are going in and how many hygienists and therapy hours are going into the practice as well. And you need to add up all of that um, to start to be able to start to divide the expenses some down and to start to come up with an hourly rate figure. So you need to decide on how many holiday weeks dentists are having, how many uh, clinical CPD weeks you know, dentists, hygienists, therapists are having as well. So that's really important. Then you need to think about your occupancy levels. So you need to actually record, you know, how much you are working. What is your capacity level? You're working at 91% or 83%. What's your DNA rates? What's your uh, cancellation rates like on the day? You know, people cancelling within 24 hours, 48 hours notice. Is that leaving you with, you know, availability within your diaries? Yeah. So occupancy is another factor to the hourly rates as well. That's very, very important. So all of those start to become the ingredients to start to ascertain what your fee structure is going to be. And the reason why Laura said it's, you know, you cannot compare with your neighbour um, is basically you might compete on price. But actually, it, it, can you deliver the service that you want to do? And I know that when I was very much in practice, we made some real decisions sometimes on actually less is more. And I'd rather do less Invisalign cases, for example, at the hourly rate that's right for my practice than compete with the Birmingham practice that was, you know, obviously doing a much bigger volume of cases than we were getting the discount from Invisalign and therefore charging a lower price to patients. Well, we compete on price. So we actually, you know, just did it all on service, doing great treatment coordination appointments alongside working with our dentists. And we have patients that had Invisalign treatments, you know, at our practice. Did we do loads? No, but we did enough, um, but they were still profitable for us. And that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Is that a good start? 
Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, something you touched on there was how many days are you going to be working clinically? And this is a huge problem in practices when, you know, we're trying to help them to set their hourly rates because holidays aren't planned, courses aren't planned, people, you know, clinicians aren't booking holiday off uh, far enough in advance. And that's usually a big culture change that has to happen in the practice. And you really need to be very proactive with um, you know, your holiday and course time. And there's an article that I've written that's gone out that will be on the website shortly. It's also in a blog and it's called Why Holidays Are a Problem. And I published it in the summer when everyone's having holidays. And it's a really stressful time in practice, but that's another topic. But it impacts dramatically on your hourly rates and the fact that they end up being wrong because the holidays aren't organised in the practice for clinicians. So that's definitely something to think about and have a read about. And I think the other and thing... And the other thing oh, go on. is the lab as well that's something that I need to say is that lab bills are very important so for all of your treatments you know you need to add your lab bill on um, so that's something that you need to be doing and of course for every practice in the country that is going to be different because you all use different labs with different prices so you need to be adding those lab prices on to those procedures but where practices don't add lab costs on and I think you need to have a think about this is whitening is definitely a lab cost for me and Laura, yeah. root canal files are definitely a lab cost. You can yeah. only use them once, and that will depend on the system that you are using. So if you're using, let's say, ProTaper for an example, you know, and you're using maybe three to five files, if you're using five files and they cost you £35, then that that is the lab bill that goes on top of that procedure. Because one of the areas that is definitely not priced correctly in practices is normally root canal therapy yeah it's one of those areas where i go the time that you're spending to do the root canal therapy and then the additional costs for the lab bill actually the profitability on root canals is so low and yet you're spending two hours with a patient bringing them back for two separate appointments so you do need to be uh, thinking about that that's important and remember if you are a practice as well that is part of the membership so you might be using practice plan you might have dem plan and um, you might be using another plan provider if you are um, doing recommended, uh, you know, you, you're providing preferential discounts for patients, then, and that might be 10%, 15% or 20%, whatever you decide the practice, you need to factor that in as well. So your membership price, your the plan price that you, you, you're actually doing, is the real price for the treatment. So you shouldn't have any concerns by offering a crown at your preferential saving rate. That should be the real cost for the practice and that's really important as well so you've got your membership you've got your lab bills you've got your hours you've got the expenses of the practice you know all of those expenses we could do like a whole podcast just on those um you know and you know with the service delivery that you want so all of those things are the ingredients alongside the occupancy as well and i'll let you laura decide whether i've missed anything out well one more thing that i'll say just before we move on to, to the next question is that quite often the principal dentist will have a different hourly rate to the associate dentist because the way in which the principal dentists are working their clinical skill sets the treatments that they're offering are so different you know they're the high-end treatments you couldn't get your hourly rates for the associates to be on the same as the principal dentist it would that would be another disaster if you worked everything out just based on the principal dentist so 
sometimes we may find that the principal dentist, let's say they're doing a lot of implant dentistry, their hourly rates will come up much higher, 550, 600, 700 an hour, and that will be their hourly rates. However, for the associate dentist, their hourly rates will be much lower at, you know, whatever figure it's worked out to be, 250, 290 pounds. So if you're, that's really something that people are thinking. Yeah, sorry, Laura. While we're talking about this subject, I think it's really clear to actually say that the other side of the equation where practice really struggling with hourly rates is to do with the examinations. And I know this is a, a subject that's really, uh, you know, one that you you talk to dentists a lot about. And that's actually how often you do see patients for examinations. And I think I'd like you just to talk about that because, you know, from a practice point of view, when I'm working out sums, actually the more examinations you do, it does affect the hourly rates that you charge. So have a chat with how, you know, the the way examinations should be done and how people should be risk assessing. Yeah, so really, I mean, um, it's a good thing you've... um bring up there Michael and I know uh, on tomorrow's management course this is one of my topics um, that I'll be going through with the um, dentists and managers and we'll be you know zoning diaries uh, for productivity uh, tomorrow is one of my favorite days on the management course um, so really what uh, I'm really passionate about is dent- uh, patients seeing their dentist and hygienist as frequently as they need to clinically based on their risks and I'm really passionate that it is the dentists that are personally risk assessing their patients and the hygienists that are personally risk assessing their patients and popping them into low medium or high for perio for caries for fractures um, because you know that's a huge thing if you've got a patient with a heavily restored mouth then you do need to risk assess them for, for fractures particularly if they have a lot of fillings um, versus a, a mouth that's restored with crowns it's, you know there's a difference there so you need to risk assess those patients and then particularly for dentists you'll probably find that the majority of your patients you've been seeing them for a very very long time that their risk, uh, their risks are higher for perio than they are for caries or breakages. So therefore, what that usually spells out is they need to see the hygienist more and they need to see the dentist less. And this becomes quite a stressful concept for dentists in particular, because the dentists say, oh, well, but my patients are used to coming every six months to see me and the hygienist on the same day. And, oh, I'm going to lose money. And, you know, all these things come into it. And what we need to remember is that the hygienists in the practice are highly skilled individuals. Many are qualified also as therapists as well. So if they're seeing a patient every four months instead of every six, because that's what you've risk assessed, they're very good at spotting uh, and screening for caries. So they can always refer a patient back to you. The patient is also going to be assessed more frequently for oral cancer as well. So it's not just going to be a twice a year thing. It's going to be at least three, if not four times a year that they're being um, screened for oral cancer as well. So that's absolutely fantastic. And one of the key messages really is that the problem with your hourly rates and why your hourly rates are coming out as they are is because you're spending 49% of your time doing examinations. And that is why you're not profitable. And actually, you do not need to do this and it's quite emotional for some people you have to take the emotion out of it patients are usually very very happy and I know again that can be upsetting for dentists but they are quite happy to say oh brilliant I only need to see you once a year and see the hygienist every four months instead happy days 
it's so great for the front desk not to have to try and find two appointments that fit together constantly. You have productive days instead of constant, you know, days full of examinations, which I know many people get upset about as well. But it's a massive discussion and perhaps, you know, a podcast in itself, Michael. Uh, about you know the six monthly yeah. dental examination and it is something I'm hugely passionate about so if you do have any more questions send them through to us on Facebook or email them over um, because it yeah, is a big, think- big problem in diaries which then absolutely messes up your hourly rates and it's something you don't need to do so you shouldn't feel bad about it and you know if you need to look at the NICE guidelines, the NICE guidelines state for a healthy patient, they need to see a dentist for an examination between 12 and 18 months. Now, I think 18 months is far too high. When we look at the increase in mouth cancer um, and the screening now that everyone's doing for that, um, I think, you know, 12 months would be a maximum due to mouth cancer uh, that they should see a dentist. The majority of hygienists are screening, but some still aren't because they're perhaps not feeling confident in that. So every practice is different in that respect as well. But, you know, the six monthly dental examination that came from a Colgate advert that came from a marketing campaign. It was never actually been a clinical recommendation. But if you're thinking, oh, gosh, Laura, this is this is something I'd love to do or something that's frightening. Start by looking at the nice guidelines and just start looking at your patients that are coming in, you know, in the next couple of days. And gosh, yes, I've been seeing this one for 10 years. I know I treatment plan comprehensively. I don't patch people over. These patients really don't need to see me every, uh, every six months. You know, it's so motivational for patients, but I think I'll leave it there and move on to the next question. <laughs> yeah, I just want to add, yeah, I think it's great though, because I think one of the questions I get asked very quickly after that is, oh, but we've got everybody in two 20-minute appointments and two six-monthly appointments yeah, with the high list, and now we're going to suddenly lower all our memberships. And I go, no, what you can, what you have an opportunity here, and that's a word that we use a lot yeah. uh, with our patient you do have an opportunity and the opportunity is you keep the monthly payment the same and hygienists across the whole of the UK um, you know and Ireland as well are actually crying out for half an hour appointments so if you are locked into a 20 minute appointment every six months you now have an opportunity of keeping the membership the same but saying do you know what Laura the great thing is is that you can now come and see me as a dentist once a year but what I'd like to do is I'd like to increase the time that you spend with the hygienist from 20 minutes to half an hour and they are going to concentrate on these additional areas because you've still got um, gum disease that I'm seeing on a six monthly basis and you would benefit from more time with the hygienist that you're seeing who's Gemma and she will be to work harder with you to get your gums increased to a level like you know and to stabilize your gums as well as your teeth are stabilized and for for a lot of patients that is a win-win and for your practice that's a win-win as well so it's not about you know don't throw all your dummies out the pram too quickly have a think about the opportunity that's there for you and you can invest that money into hygiene which we all know is a benefit to the patient we know that we need to be doing more education with them and that perhaps the hygienists are not having the time that they feel that they need or patients are so used to having all the time spent on treatment if you start talking to them they're like what are you doing so we you you have an opportunity to change things up but it does need backing from, you know, from the dentist. It does need powerful communication skills to do that, which, of course, we help many practices with. Absolutely. Um, so we've got about 10 minutes left. So the next question um, is, is 
well, as always, a good one. I think it's really important to discuss as well. There's another question that I'd definitely like us to answer today, which will, which will be a much more quick, uh, quick answer. So this person's asking, how do you build confidence in my team? Well, how, how does this person build confidence in their team? And I think that's a lovely question um, mm. to really send through because that says to me that this person's very caring um, and they really believe in their team if they want to build their confidence. And confidence I want to I, me take a myth away right away yeah. from this question. I just want to do. A, a, lot, a lot of people think HR is a really uh, negative word in practice yeah. and actually HR is extremely positive mm -hmm. if you do all of if you do all the positive HR things that you should be doing and I'm, I'm sure Laurie will expand on some of those in a minute and I'll help you out um, but it's really important that practice realize that HR is there to protect the employer and the employee and fundamentally when you recruit somebody you should really like that person you should want to invest in that person you should want them to be in your practice and it's your duty to put some really happy hr practices in and you know really start to work on those so that actually you can motivate your team they do have an opportunity to speak with you on a weekly basis and therefore if there is a, a problem or a little concern it will be a little concern i'd like to highlight that um you know in big bold letters rather than it being something that's out of control because practices have ignored it or don't feel confident or think oh i can't do hr you know and, and hr is a bit of a confidence thing I, I totally understand that but it needs to be from a positive heart and we've got some amazing tools haven't we laura that you can have a chat about that we use in practice yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the um, best things that I ever did as a practice manager was to start having what I used to call a PPI, personal performance uh, interview, but we, we call it a one-to-one -one, uh, now. And I used to do this every Friday afternoon with my team, 10 minutes uh, with them. And there was three questions that I'd ask them just to really see, you know, how they were feeling, how their week had been, if there was anything they needed help with. And it was very much an opportunity for me to listen uh, to the team and provide help as and when I when I could. It wasn't an opportunity to then spend an hour with someone doing some training or talking about this and that. It was a summary of how they were doing and if they needed help with anything. And it really puts you as a practice manager or practice owner in a fantastic position in regards to leadership. It really shows that. And it definitely demonstrates that you care. There are so many times where I used to think, oh, my gosh, I've got so much to do today. I could really do without doing these. But I never would. They were always a priority for me. And you can do them on any day of the week. You just need to make sure it's consistent. And if you have a really large team, you can even do it biweekly. And once the team know it's consistent, they will then come to you. You know, first of all, they're going to think you're really, you know, you're crazy. Uh, you've lost the plot. What are you suddenly doing? Asking them how they are and if there's any help that they need. But once they get used to it, they'll come to you and they'll have, you know, oh, I really need help with this or this hasn't gone too well this week. And then what you're doing is you're dealing with their confidence on a weekly basis. Um confidence is a huge thing and it's something that we need to work on in practice you know we're constantly uh, meeting with team members who are absolutely lovely and when Michael and I are working with them and helping them with let's say verbal skills as an example 
they absolutely flourish and it's great to see but we're the ones giving that confidence and you need to keep momentum with confidence that's really important uh, appraisals you know you have to do appraisals my preference if you're doing if you're going for a big change in your business then i would do appraisals every six months to me again appraisals used to be something that took a lot of my time to plan but ultimately they were also motivational for my team and i love it when we're working with practices and helping them change their appraisal system into something very motivational uh, often the team do dread it i mean i remember as a team member myself i used to used to hate it it also seems to be a time when people expect to receive a pay rise i don't know what that's about um but if you you know if you do them a bit more frequently then they're not necessarily going to expect a pay rise and i definitely wouldn't be giving pay rises at appraisals because that just goes around the team uh, and that's what everyone expects them to be and then people come away feeling negative and down so it really is about um, developing people motivating people and then you can build their confidence you really can um, but definitely one-to-one -one meetings and your appraisal system. Look at that and make that really motivational without a doubt. Is there anything you'd like to add, Mike? Yeah, I think we're going back to systems, don't we, as well? And I think it's really important that people operate in practices where they understand what's expected of them as a person. And I think in dental practices, one of the things that lets a lot of practices down, and I don't want this to appear negative, is, oh, I'm having a go at anybody. But actually, you know, the systems are key. And for loads of practices, the systems aren't written down. There's no explanation of what should be happening. And when we're actually saying have you got a system for this practices like well it's not written down but we do have a system well for me if it's not written down you don't have a system because we're both qualified nurses we both uh, uh, you know can do treatment coordination at a very high level we can both do front desk we both can do uh, management duties in practice so we can't come into your practice and go right you know this is how we can operate within your business then you don't have systems and therefore people are doing something that i call make it up as you go along and you know you might have some people in your practice who are very good at making it up as they go along and they're hard workers but you'll have another group that are we don't make it up as you go along and unless you push them at every moment of every day yeah they don't actually uh produce you what you might feel is a successful day but actually you haven't quantified what they should be doing on that day how many systems they need to be doing and so therefore they don't understand what's expected of them so the people that i suppose are let's say a little bit more proactive look like they're working really hard they might be not working hard in the right areas that's what sometimes does happen you know these people are working hard in the business but perhaps not working on what you want them to work on and other people are looking like they're not working as hard and perhaps shirking responsibility but you know there's a lot of people you know my husband would fall into these he works you know he works to rule he does what's expected of him he has a list of jobs to do every day and he fulfills those jobs and once those jobs are done he goes home it's as simple as that you know and actually we need to remember that that we, we you can support team members that want to do that as long as you set your systems out and again systems are in the part of happy hr it's about creating systems that then the staff know that they're expected to do even if that means tidying magazines sweeping a floor you know um i don't know 
making sure that the the, the loo is suitably uh, stocked up with toilet roll and you know and products and things like that all those little things are really important and they also go back right where we started which is what your brand experience is all about and how much you're going to invest in that type of experience for your patients and it's all in the little things and if you think about all of the brands they all work really hard but also I think of Ryanair where they work in very basic systems and the amount of people that they train um, and actually you can see exactly what's expected of them and if they can do it then we can do it in dentistry as well. Absolutely. And this is the, this last question, which I'll answer uh, very quickly. It, it, it's great to have questions that we can answer quickly as well, so we can definitely get to them. Um, this is about the brand experience, really. Our patients ring our practice and regularly want to speak directly with our dentists. How do we prevent this as it's very difficult? Well, <laughs> just a, a few top yeah. tips here. Firstly, why is this happening? Is it that the dentists are saying, give me a call if you've got any questions that you have, I'm always here, because that just can be changed. That obviously needs to stop. So that's usually what it is. That's when dentists are saying, I'm here for you anytime you need me. You know, they're being caring, they're being lovely, but actually it's completely the wrong thing to say, and then it causes this problem. Second thing is, when dentists are in clinic, they are not to be interrupted unless there is an emergency situation, such as the building is on fire, uh, you need help with some CPR. You know, otherwise, they're not to be interrupted. They are in clinic. They're working with patients. And I always say, as a patient, when you're laying there having treatment and people are walking in the room, it's awful. It can be the same. It might have happened to some females or males at the beauticians. You know, you're having a nice facial. Someone walks in to borrow something. You don't know what's going on. You can't see. And it's absolutely awful. And it's really uncomfortable. So there's no interruptions in the treatment room and just have a very clear system that if the patient's ringing in the morning, that the dentist will ring them back and you've booked five minutes out of their diary for them to call them at one o'clock. So you're actually arranging a time that the dentist will ring them and tell the patient it's five minutes. I know these patients are always off the phone really quickly because they appreciate the dentist ringing, but I'd still just say they're going to call you at one o'clock. They're going to call you at 10 past one. I've blocked five minutes in their lunch break for them to call you. And then they won't be on the phone for 10 hours to them. But that's just a quick solution for you. Why is it happening? Give yourself some autonomy. Give the front desk some autonomy to be able to deal with that and no interruptions in the treatment room. When someone's in clinic, they're in clinic. You can't go in there unless it's an emergency. I hope that really helps that practice and thank you to that person for sending their questions through um well they were two meaty questions weren't they and a nice I love those questions. yeah a nice one at the end there so thank you ever so much for tuning into this podcast if you haven't please do subscribe so that you can uh, always be notified when our podcasts are updated and um yes thank you ever so much for joining and thank you michael you're very welcome thank you laura